0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money & Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hiya. So this week we're talking about the dash for trash in markets, how to prepare your finances for a recession, companies that are doing good in the current times and why people are taking out longer and longer mortgages.
1: So first, there was some fairly bleak data out this week that showed we're almost certainly already in a recession. So with that in mind, we'll have a chat today about what we should be doing to prepare.
0: Yeah. So, the data that came out um, was from the House of Commons Library. Um, And basically, it was looking at various different aspects of the economy um, and showed the kind of rising unemployment, the increases in the number of businesses that are failing, um, plummeting services sector and, and dropping consumer demand. And while the data isn't available yet because all of this data works on a kind of time lag, um, it says that we're, it came to the conclusion that we're almost certainly already in a recession. Um, and so its kind of conclusion was that we just need to wait for the data to come through the system to be able to prove that, which is obviously quite scary. Um, and, but I thought it would be a good time to, to kind of talk about personal finances and, and what you can do, either if you've been affected so far by um, coronavirus and, and job losses, or if you're worried about a recession coming down the line.
1: So, what, what, where do you think people should start? Is there, is, is there a sort of order they should follow, or, or just just generally have a look at your finances and what you can do?
0: So, the the main the kind of general overall ethos is that you want to try and save as much as possible. It's all quite common sense stuff. You want to try and reduce your outgoings as much as possible, um, and you want to kind of try and build up a, an emergency pot. So, the first thing, the first step that you should always look at is any debt that you have. So you should look at things like credit card debt, personal loan debt, um, overdrafts, Um, and you should focus at the moment, assuming that your finances haven't been affected so far, you should focus at the moment on paying down any of that expensive debt that you've got. So, if you've got a 0% credit card and you know that that's extending for a long time, then you probably don't need to focus on that first. What you should first do is look at all the debt that you've got and find the one with the highest interest rate and start paying that down first. And so, that kind of has a double whammy. On the one hand, it means that you're um, paying off the debt sooner so you're not going to be paying interest on it for as long. But it also means that if your finances are hit further down the line, your monthly outgoings are lower because you don't have so much money coming out to pay off this debt.
1: And I presume you can go on to sort of comparison websites will find you um, an idea of, of, of what you know what's available in terms of sort of zero percent credit cards and that sort of stuff that you could switch to if possible
0: yeah exactly so i think if you've got if you know you've just got a small amount of debt and you can probably pay it off in the next few months if you really put your mind to it um then you're probably fine just leaving it where it is and paying it off but if you know that you've got um larger debt than that and it's going to take you longer then you should look into switching it to either cheaper debt or a zero percent deal if you can access that now obviously people with better credit records will be able to access better deals. But there are quite a lot of 0% um, credit card deals out there or even just switching it to a loan that, that's charging less than than what you're being charged at the moment. But I would say um, Money Saving Expert is always a, a good site to go to to kind of hunt through and be able to find the kind of credit card deals or, or debt deals that you'd be able to access.
1: Yeah. what And so when it comes to cash i mean we've talked on the podcast before about the importance of having a sort of a pot of cash for emergencies and, and i would say now is the point at which um you know if you've got one you should really consider using it if if you're worried about being able to sort of pay the bills particularly if you if you're not working at the moment but what if, if someone hasn't got an emergency pot of cash how much do you think they should really start sort of saving towards to make them have this sort of cushion to fall on if needs be
0: yeah it's quite tough because it's so dependent there's not kind of a monetary figure that you can give that's applicable for everyone um but you're right that, that it's important to have this cushion. And I think the main thing at the moment is if you've got no emergency put, you've got no kind of cash savings to fall back on, then just save as much as you can. Work out ways where you can save money and put money aside. Um, and for a lot of us, I guess, working from home, if, if our employment situation hasn't changed, we might realise that, that we've actually had quite a reduction in cost. So we're not paying to commute or you're not paying the petrol prices to commute or for train tickets. And so you could make a conscious effort to save that amount of money that you're saving each month um um, and put it into a cash pot but if you've already started a pot and or you've got a bigger ability to save then the good rule of thumb is three to six months of outgoings so it's important to point out that that is outgoings that isn't your income. So what you should do is add up all of your essential things. So things like mortgage and rent, the essential bills that you have, um, your essential food shop. So strip out any of the luxuries or the things that you could cancel if you need to. Work out how much that is per month and then multiply it by um, three and by six. And then that kind of gives you the parameter of roughly how much you might need to save. Some people might find that quite a dauntingly high number. And in that case, I would just say save as much as you can.
1: What about on your, your mortgage then? I mean, it's, it's a bit strange. We're all stuck at home. I'm sure um, People may not be thinking about moving home, but you can think about um, reviewing your current mortgage deal, can't you? And potentially sort of switch into something cheaper if, if you can.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how many people seem to be using this kind of additional spare time that they might have to tackle some of their finances and some of those kind of boring life admin tasks that you always told yourself you didn't have time to get around to and there's not really that excuse anymore for some people so it's interesting how many people have got in touch with me actually kind of friends and um talking about switching and and doing different things. But your mortgage is such a big cost each month that that is one area where you can really save money if you've fallen onto your mortgage provider's standard variable rate. So, this is the rate that you'd go on to after any kind of initial deal or fixed rate deal had finished. Those rates are always much, much higher than the deal you would have been on before, but also what you can get out in the open market. So, you should dig out your your last annual statement or check online if, if they offer that and um, see how much interest you're being charged. And then you can there's so many comparison tools online where you can go and see what you could be paying. Now, obviously, there's some big caveats to this. Part of it is how much equity you still have in your home. Obviously, the current crisis has affected the housing market and it's making it harder to value homes. So, you might find that mortgage providers are giving you a bit more of a conservative valuation. So, you need to factor that in. You also need to factor in whether your job situation has changed because if your income has fallen, then it might be that you're not eligible to borrow the same amount that you've got. And so, you might be forced to stay on your current deal. But don't assume that that's the case. And I think just if you you gather all the information together and you can put it into one of these comparison sites, then you can really get a gauge of it. Or you can go and speak to a broker and there's quite a lot of mortgage brokers out there that um you don't have to pay them directly they they operate on commission and so um you could speak to them and, and just kind of gauge whether it is possible to switch and how much you might be able to save
1: what is anything else we should be thinking about so what about things like your, your sky subscription and um sort of nice to haves? maybe now is a good time to think about is there anything that really i could perhaps do without for a while
0: yeah, I think it's kind of going through, looking through your bank statement for the past few months, seeing what you're paying for and working out either if there's any things that you are paying for that you don't get any use out of, or you're not, you don't think is worthwhile and cancelling them now, or just pinpointing things that you know that you'd be willing to cut in the future. So at the moment, your Sky package, I mean, we're all at home more, most of us are watching more TV, you might not be willing to, to cut that now, but you might think, actually, if My finances got tough. That's something where I could just cut that um, and sacrifice that. So, either things that you can cut now. um, And people often find that they're paying so much for subscriptions they signed up to ages ago, where they realize that they don't use it at all, or they're not getting the best use out of it. Or you can call up and you can try and negotiate a cheaper deal. So, Sky is one of the big culprits of that, where it kind of gradually creeps up and up in price. And actually, you could call them up and negotiate a better deal.
1: I think you asked for the retention team, isn't it? That's what I've seen before. Um, I think BT is another one as well. If you if you just sort of just be honest with them, say, um, yeah, I don't want you to give me a sales pitch. Just get down to the proper conversation. What what's the best offer you can give me? Otherwise, I'm out the door.
0: And I've tried, I've canceled Sky before and it is so hard. That team negotiate very hard with you. So if you go in with a mentality that you're willing to actually um, quit and cancel your subscription, um, then you can get really good deals.
1: Yeah. So we, we thought it'd be quite good to hear what um, some of the listeners you, yourselves are doing at the moment to perhaps save or, or even make money um, if you found yourself some spare time at the moment. So w- w- it would be great if you could email us at podcast at with some of your ideas, because you know, whether you're sort of shifting some stuff on eBay, um, you know, whether you've had some success um, saving money on subscriptions or things like insurance policies, or, or you might find something in your loft which is worth a load of money. So please do get in touch and perhaps we'll do a uh, discussion on this in a future podcast.
0: So now to markets. You've spotted this week, Dan, that lots of stocks that were sold off very heavily before have now started to rally. So why is that? Let's start with the airlines first.
1: Yeah. So in the in the last week, um, airlines have sort of gone up 20, 30 percent. I mean, it, it's Pretty, um, pretty impressive if you think that all the headlines are about um, airlines are now grounding all their fleets. Um, the conversation is going towards how airlines are trying to give you vouchers and don't really want to give you refunds for cancel flights. So you think, okay, why is it then that Um, the share prices are going up Uh, and there's a couple of of reasons one is that um, they're starting to sort of draw on government loans so easyjet's a good example just got a 600 million government loan um, and, and sort of investors are thinking okay well perhaps we were previously pricing them to go bust almost and now you know there's this glimmer of hope they might still be able to sort of sail through the crisis so so there's this sort of term called the dash for trash it sounds a bit Evil, but um, if you if you went back to the global financial crisis, so March two thousand nine was a point when the market started to turn and recover, and all the stuff that jumped up first was all the things that were essentially heavily indebted and were being priced to go bust. So it, there's an element of that now. So airlines, people have been very worried about their future. It's only really natural they seem to sort of jump up. Um, and you, you've got other things like oil companies and leisure companies like Cinemas and some of the retailers as well just going crazy in the last week. I think it, it, it's it's investors sort of hoping that they're going to survive. But the, the problem is we, these bounces, they, they rarely last very long. Investors will soon turn their attention to – quality of the business quality of the earnings and at at the moment there's a massive question mark about whether they're still going to be generating any revenue this year so it's it's a dangerous thing it's if you're a day trader i bet you're having the time of your life and we've seen um, the trading platform plus 500 talk about how its revenues absolutely soared this year because of people trying to play the markets. But if you're a long term investor, I would be a bit cautious about um, getting too carried away at the moment by very large movements in stock prices on a daily basis. Um, And
0: I I feel like you kind of touched on one of the points there is that the the financials and the kind of economics behind each company is just so uncertain at the moment. And we don't really have that much visibility, do we, in terms of how much of a, a financial hit or otherwise these companies might have taken?
1: No, this is it. I mean, it's a, in, in the market, analysts have got earnings forecasts, but um, I, I just don't think you can say with any certainty that these forecasts are, are correct because until we know when businesses are going to get back um, to operating properly as it used to be we just don't know where they you know the, what levels of revenue are going to be having because some of these businesses are you know they're, they're operating on skeleton staff um, some are not taking in any money at all so yeah it, it, we're in a very tricky position i was talking to a fund manager a couple of days ago and, and sort of making this point i'm saying well aren't shouldn't you be considering buying lots of, of cheap stuff because it, clearly it might bounce. He says, well, yes, but, um, you know, we've got this big liquidity problem. We don't actually know whether these companies will still be around in a couple of months time, despite their, their share prices soaring at the moment. So, yeah, it is tricky stuff.
0: So, aside from that kind of leap up in in some of these companies, how have the markets generally been behaving? There's a bit more good news this week, isn't there?
1: Well, there's good and bad news. So, it, on a on a one week basis, the FTSE 100 is up nearly four percent, and in America, the S and P probably double that, nearly eight percent. So, um, nearly 500 stocks in the FTSE All Share Index are up in value. So, you know, there is a sign that the market is changing what it's in terms of its thought process so we're going from a, a panic stage to investors seem to be slightly more optimistic but we, the big question mark as i sort of say is we don't know how long this rally could go up and i don't think there's enough evidence to suggest that um, this is a prolonged recovery at the moment not not until we get we get some proper information from companies that can quantify the impact on their earnings but the, the other big story is dividends. Well, you know, we, we've mentioned in the last couple of weeks how companies are, are cutting dividends. Well, there's now more than 200 companies on the London market who've cut that. You're basically saying you're not paying any dividends in time soon. All the banks have said they're not going to be it. And now as we're recording this, the insurance companies have started to do the same. And this is, this is bad news for investors because these are typically very, very popular sectors for people who, invest in order to to generate an income so particularly people in retirement they may well have been drawn to stocks like um rsa and aviva and direct line because of their dividends but they've all come out basically saying sorry we're not going to pay anything near term so it it is it is very frustrating Um, but as always to try and look at the optimistic side Hopefully this is a short term thing um, and and the world will get through this problem and then we'll hopefully go back to um, the way of life that we're all used to.
0: And so then when we're talking about companies specifically, we've, we've talked about some companies on here before that maybe weren't treating their staff particularly well during this crisis. And I think there's been quite a big divergence between companies. But we thought um, to go with the optimistic, it was worth highlighting some companies that are actually doing real good out there because there are lots of companies doing that. So, Dan, is there any that you, you've spotted?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, list sort of, the list is massive, which is, which is really pleasing. It's
0: That's so good, uh, isn't it?
1: It is great. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, on the subject of dividends. Well, loads of management teams are now taking a pay cut. So they're they're basically saying, well, I, I'm prepared to take less money from the company because then it will give more cash in the business to help it survive. Because they're all, all these directors and management teams, they're all heavily invested as well. They, they probably should be. So they'll be losing out on dividends as well. So it, it's you know, I think that they're sort of giving up. Yes. Um, quite a bit of money here uh, in order to help um not only their own company and the business but actually some of this money is getting redirected into good things to help the nhs so if we start on the supermarkets i think that they've been doing some really fantastic things so they've been sort of giving priority to vulnerable and self-isolating people in terms of getting access to online food orders um giving dedicated hours to the NHS workers to, to go and visit supermarkets, protecting their own workers with things like screens on the tills. Um, I don't know whether you, Laura, have seen this, but I, I'm on sort of the mailing list for quite a lot of these businesses. And I've been getting some really interesting sort of emails that are being written by the chief execs, So. Sort of, just discussing what they're doing as a business and updating people have you seen any of them Laura at all
0: yeah I think the communications has been quite good and and it's interesting because obviously supermarkets is an area where they're actually doing very well out of the current crisis so they're a rare business that has seen a big increase in sales but it seems like lots of them are actually doing lots of good stuff with some of that additional revenue and I think almost all of them now or all of the main ones have also announced enhanced bonus schemes for their staff as well to recognize the fact that their staff are coming into work in what are perhaps not the safest environments every day because they do have to come into contact with lots of people so it seems that they're doing quite a lot for the community but also for their own staff um so yeah no i would say that they're a real a real kind of good spot aren't they
1: so, I mean, I had an email this morning from Sainsbury's saying they're given three million pounds to Fair Share, which takes surplus food from the food industry and gives it to about 11,000 charities and community groups. So things like food banks here should hopefully benefit. I think it's just really nice things that these companies are doing. And I'll give you some more examples. In the engineering sector, we've got people like Smith's Group and Rolls-Royce are sort of formed a committee so they can improve the supply chain and as a manufacturer of ventilators for hospitals. Um, in Yorkshire, Burberry is repurposing one of its factories to make non-surgical gowns and masks and Diageo which you probably know as the maker of Guinness Um, now they're they're donating masses of alcohol to help produce hand sanitizers I mean there's some really really good stuff going on here as well
0: yeah there's quite a lot of um, other alcohol producers and kind of gin distilleries and places like that that have actually switched entirely over to making hand sanitizer I think Brewdog was another one that's done that as well so, there's lots of people, lots of companies recognising that they won't need to produce at the moment, but rather than just shutting down completely, actually using the facilities and the equipment they've got for much better good.
1: Yeah, I mean, got, like BT has sort of said um, for its staff, there'll be no job losses in the next sort of three months. It's actually giving a pay rise to people on the front line. And even our own NJ Bell, they're doing some fantastic stuff. Laura, do you, do you want to tell our listeners what we're, what we're planning to do?
0: Yeah, it's always a bit of a weird one to talk about. Obviously, we work for A.J. Bell, and so we try to avoid bigging them up too much because we want to be impartial. But I think that um, they, what they've announced this week is, um, is really good, and it, and it feels very good to work for a company that does stuff like this. So um, on the one hand, they've, they've talked about the fact that they're financially strong, and therefore they won't be claiming any government help, so any of the government assistance that's on offer, even though some staff would be eligible for things like the furloughing scheme, um, because they don't believe in claiming government support, where we have our own finances um, to be able to to provide for that, for example. Um, But the the bigger thing is launching um, what's been called the A.J. Bell Wage War on Covid Fund, um, where it's encouraging people inside A.J. Bell, but also externally, so other CEOs, to donate their Wages, either a proportion of their wages or all of their wages, um, to go to charities to support COVID 19 efforts directly. Um, so, our chief executive, Andy Bell, has said that he is going to donate three months' salary, um, so April, May, and June, of his salary to this cause. And I think a lot of other senior people in the company have done that, and other people throughout the company. Um, will be donating kind of a percentage of their salary as well. But it's also, I think it's more than just an internal initiative. It's an aim to get other companies' CEOs to do the same, because obviously lots of people have been furloughed or have faced job losses. um, But see, a lot of the CEOs of the companies, um, some have taken pay cuts, but others haven't. And so it's a real chance to kind of show and to put your money in to help charities that um, that are helping people that have been affected by it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would. If you haven't heard it, I would direct listeners to a website called didtheyhelp.com, com, which is uh, it's still in the early stages of being put together, but it kind of lists companies and celebrities who are either doing good or bad things. So um it's, oh, that's
0: so interesting and i think that'll be really useful afterwards as well because at the moment there's so many different things coming out about what different companies are doing that when it comes to spending your money afterwards you might have potentially forgotten that a company did real good or the the converse i guess the, the company that you're about to spend money with maybe treated people particularly badly so i think that would be so useful afterwards
1: yeah i mean the stuff on there talks about how what what sort of things that microsoft and facebook are doing to really um help sort of communities and 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 their own staff as well and also they've got this sort of thing called heroes and zeros so on the bad side Pointing out like things that J D. Weatherspoon wasn't being very nice to its staff, how Sports Director Owner Fraser's was trying to jack up prices for home gym equipment, trying to capitalise on the lockdown, which is sort of against the spirit of what we're all trying to be doing, um, and and Asos as well cramming people into warehouses, and I've seen things like on social media people at Holland and Barrett sort of saying, well. You know, we're not really an essential business, um, yet you, why do we still have to come to work in these tiny shops where we're worried about how close we are to, to people? So all, all these sort of things, they are being documented, and I think they will make a difference to how companies and, and are viewed by consumers once the crisis is over.
0: I really hope it does. I really hope that, that people do remember and that they spend their money accordingly. Yeah. So also, we thought we'd cover something non-coronavirus related, which feels like the first time in about a month. But um, we thought it might be some light relief to talk about mortgages. Um, so we spoke about the slowdown in the mortgage market a couple of weeks ago. But before that, we checked in with David Hollingworth at Mortgage Broker LNC um, to talk generally about the mortgage market, but particularly to talk about why people are getting longer and longer mortgages kind of into their retirement. So, the latest trend in the mortgage market seems to be that instead of getting a 25-year mortgage, you now get a 30-year mortgage or a 40-year mortgage. Um, So, why are people taking out these much longer-term mortgages?
2: So, it's been building for some time, I think largely with first-time buyers, but not exclusively. Those moving to a new, bigger home may also be looking at longer terms, largely driven by the fact that it pushes down your mortgage payment. So, the longer the term you take to repay the capital... Then of course the the monthly payments will fall, and that's the appeal. So first time buyers who are really struggling and having to borrow to the maximum of their ability really perhaps want to build in a little bit of flexibility, so they'll lengthen out that term rather than going for the what was traditional twenty five year term.
1: But if you were if we're potentially taking out our mortgage later in life and having a longer term, and that sort of implies that you'd be paying it off until you die, doesn't it?
2: So- um, well, you can't just keep on rolling it over on a 40-year term. So, there will be limits at the upper end. So, lenders will expect, ideally, for you to be repaying your mortgage before retirement. But if you're going to take it beyond retirement, they will be looking at the affordability then. So, the regulator's been very clear that it expects lenders to not only assess how affordable mortgages mortgage is right now, but how sustainable that would be. So, they will look at If you're a 55 year old, for example, don't necessarily expect everyone to be throwing a a 40 year mortgage your way.
0: But if you're, say, 35 now and you're going to take out a a 40 year mortgage, how are you? Does the mortgage lender expect that you'll just carry on working until you're 75? Or how are you kind of expected to?
2: Yeah, they'll be asking about when you expect to retire. working to 70, 75 is now increasingly becoming the answer to that, I think. Um, But of course, you're not stuck with a 40-year term. As you go on and you start reviewing your mortgage, you can start to pull that back. Or some people will look at giving themselves that wriggle room in the early stages. So when they're taking on a new property, can they have a lower payment? But actually look to make overpayments as and when they can. So that might be smaller monthly overpayments or just save up a lump sum and take an ad hoc overpayment because most lenders will give you up to 10% per annum without charging you any kind of penalty.
1: Do you think in reality, are you seeing evidence that people when they remortgage are actually trying to reduce the term? I thought people would just sort of simply try and find
2: a lower rate. That's the danger is that you never get around to it. And I guess if we look back to when interest only was more prevalent, people were using it for exactly this purpose. So they were saying that they were going to switch to repayment. But of course, the longer you leave it, the harder it becomes. So reviewing it every time you review mortgage and seeing whether you could actually reduce the term will save you quite a lot of money in the longer run. Um, and as your position changes, so hopefully income grows, etc. you can start to really peg back on it um, and, and take the term down again.
0: So, is it a sign that just the housing market is more and more unaffordable for first-time buyers? Or is it that people are planning on working longer anyway, so they think they may as well have their mortgage until they're 75?
2: I think prices are high. People are having to save big deposits. They're trying to borrow what they can. Um, And to do that and make that more affordable, then a a longer term can help that, at least in the early stages. But like I say, it costs you. It it may look more appealing on the monthly payment side. So I was just looking at figures. If you take a 150K mortgage and we just use a a rate of 2.5%, so if you take it over the 25 years, you'd be looking at around £673 a month. Put it over 40 years you're taking that down to 495 so you can see right That's there where difference. the appeal is in it giving you that real breathing space in your monthly payments however if you then look at the amount of interest that you'll pay over the full mortgage term you're going to be looking at more than thirty-five thousand pounds more on the 40 year term than on the 25 year term yeah. wow. so there you see the benefits of really reviewing that mortgage term back down as and when you can, or, or as we say, making the overpayments.
0: Do you think people are aware of that though? That how much more it's costing them. They probably just think, oh, it's costing me less each month, and don't think maybe about maybe generally, pounds
2: pounds. generally having a feeling that it's going to cost them more because they're going to have the mortgage for longer, so that you're going to pay interest for longer. Um, but whether it, they put it in terms of tens of thousands of pounds, I think, is perhaps the question. And trying to get people to, you know, get advice on that and. and pull it back down wherever they can can really help over the longer term so i
1: guess i guess to the banks if you know this seems to be um is it preferable for to them to for the customer to have a longer term obviously they make more money don't they but are, are they also are they relaxing their lending criteria as well or is it
2: so the market is very competitive now. So there's two levers that lenders can generally pull. So they'll either price, and you can see from mortgage rates now that they're extremely low, and they're reaching the points where many lenders are struggling to compete, particularly for the lower loan-to-value business. Uh, therefore, they can look at niche areas or at criteria changes, so they can become a little bit more flexible. But still, we've got that regulation where they've got to be able to demonstrate that this is going to be affordable now and in the future. So, plus they've got um, loan-to-income multiple limits as well, so they can't just start lending bigger and bigger multiples to more and more people. Um, so, there, are, there are, there's a desire to lend, there's appetite to lend, but it's within certain constraints that uh, affordability brings, rightly so.
1: Is that right in saying that since the, sort of the global financial crisis, when you go to take out a mortgage, you have to give a lot more information than you used to. Talking about your, you know, to try and assess the affordability. Yeah. You know, do you think that there's, there's scope for um, the lenders to want even more information going forward or, or, you know, literally, are they already going to be,
2: stuff they have now is extremely comprehensive? Or- I think a lender will want to get better at how they can get that information. So mm-hmm. technology can bring gains there for them and make it a, a more pleasant journey for the customer (laughs) Um, they're going to still need to be able to show affordability and as you rightly say rather than just a multiple of income it's now looking at what your outgoings are so you get a more personalised approach to what you can afford rather than just a one-size-fits-all I think they'll still need to get that information but things like open banking might start to change the way that they can gather that information Um, but they will be you know lenders are looking to streamline what they're getting from you uh, rather than ask for more and more information.
1: Okay. What So in terms of what else is happening in the mortgage market, are there any sort of interesting products being launched or what, what's the sort of the innovation like?
2: Yeah, well, we've seen um, a green mortgage wow. come, come to the market. Now, no, it's not the first. We've had green mortgages for a long, long time in, in one guise or another. Um, more recently, Kensington's brought a product out that's calling its Eco Mortgage, and that's looking to give the borrower cash back when they can demonstrate that they've made energy efficiency improvements to the home. And I think this will be just one of those things that could pick up. We've also seen Barclays offering them uh, in recognition of the greater energy efficiency you can get on a new build property. So they nibble a little bit off the rate there. And Nationwide have already um, made their intent clear to, to do similar Work on that. So I think we might see some interesting stuff with the green badge. That that could be a variety of different approaches. But I'm I'm sure we'll see more given how uh, high on the agenda the climate change is.
0: Um, so what's what's in it for the mortgage company there in terms of them giving money back because they don't necessarily benefit from the home being more energy efficient. Is it just where you were talking about having a competitive edge? And is it just I for think that?
2: finding finding areas that they can do something different. Um, can really help and it it just helps put a badge on that product, helps to bring the lender to light. Um, You could, of course, just raise money with a standard mortgage and and carry out energy efficiency improvements, whatever those were. And that may be something that you look to do because the rates may be slightly more competitive elsewhere. Um, So it's possible to do it yourself, but I think that the green agenda is not going to go away and therefore lenders will be looking at how they should be helping homeowners to make those energy efficiencies given how lacking in efficiency some some homes really are.
0: And we've also seen quite a lot of I guess innovation in the mortgage market over recent years because of the bank of mum and dad so parents or grandparents lending money towards um, children buying a home or going on the mortgage with them so have we seen any kind of newer developments there as well?
2: Yeah so parents as we say frequently involved in the the first time aspiration. So, increasingly, they've been having to go joint on the mortgage. Now, as we were talking about lending into retirement, that's something that a lender's got to be mindful of. So, therefore, you could see that the mortgage term would get um, constricted by the parent's age. So, whilst the first time by themselves might be easy to take 30, 35, 40 years, the parent would, of course, be joint on the mortgage and, and not able to take it through that far. Hinkley and Rugby are now offering something which can allow a split of the term. So they'll look at the mortgage and say, well, the first-time buyer in their own right could afford pretty much most of the mortgage. So we can therefore structure most of that over a normal term according to their age. However, we are getting some help from mum and dad. Um, So actually we can split the term, put a shorter term in place on part of that mortgage Uh, So that we are repaying that at a quicker rate and reducing the reliance on the parents there. So I think that's that's a nice quirky thing to do and and recognises the restrictions that having a parent on the mortgage can bring.
0: It's interesting how the market's adapted so much, hasn't it, to this kind of bank of mum and dad influx.
2: Yeah, because, and of course, stamp duties change there. So the the dynamics have shifted for parents so rather than be a guarantor as once they might have done and not be party to the mortgage at all now lenders expect them to be a joint borrower but of course that means that in most cases they'd expect you to be on the title of the property as well which brings the additional stamp duty surcharge so now we've seen products where you can be joint on the mortgage but if it suits the child can be sole title so they the property's held in their name only um, and the aim of that of course is to avoid that and a potential capital gains tax charge where the parent isn't really investing in the property they're just trying to help their child get on the ladder
1: so i, I, I mean it seems doesn't seem that long ago to me when you were seeing sort of 100 even 110 percent mortgage rates i mean is it do you think you will ever get to that stage again or i think the banks have just learnt the lesson you, you can't You'd be go. a brave lender yeah. to
2: to launch one of those yeah. I think I wouldn't you know we're we're up to a good range of ninety five percent availability now, so if you can get five percent together, you will find that there's a good range of lenders offering those deals and as a consequence rates have come down on those as well. They're still higher than if you've got a bigger deposit, so you've got to factor that in. Can you push to an extra five percent? Um, but there's there's a good range. Whether we'll ever get to the 100%, I wouldn't ever rule that out, um, but we've not seen anyone making that move just yet.
0: Excellent. Thanks a lot for joining us today.
2: Pleasure. So that's everything for this week. Um, just a
1: final point just to say sorry again for the sound quality we we are we are recording this from home and and sort of Laura and I are just chatting on Skype here so um, some point very soon we hope to be back in the studio but um, just for now we hope that the recording is good enough quality for you to still enjoy the podcast Um, drop us a line at podcast at ajbell.co.uk if there's anything particularly you want us to cover in the podcast otherwise you can catch laura and i on twitter and um hopefully we will catch you next time thanks very much
0: thanks for that before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of aj bell or shares magazine the podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not